Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us again as we go on investigating Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us for another session of Scripture Searching. We're trying to ask some of the most fundamental questions that can be asked about life and immortality. I'm presuming that you're interested in your own immortality. I'm sure you're among those millions of human beings who basically enjoys living. Unfortunately, that living in its present form is going to come to an end after some 70, 80, or at the most 90 years. And then what? Well, Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene about 2,000 years ago offering a solution to man's mortality. Because, you know, each of us is mortal. We do not have a divine spark in us automatically that's going to guarantee us immortality. We have to gain immortality. If you're in any doubt about that very basic fact of Bible study and about the reality of life itself, turn to Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7. You find there that God is going to render to each of us according to what we've done. And then Paul says, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. Now, you clearly don't seek for immortality if you already have it. So immortality is something that man does not have innately. In fact, God is the only one that has immortality. That's what the Bible says. And you can look that one up in 1 Timothy 6, 16. That precious verse points out that it's God alone who has immortality. Now, one of the most confusing ideas ever to enter the church, and it happened in the early centuries of Christianity, was the idea that man has by nature an immortal soul which is bound to go on surviving when he dies. That idea, in fact, came from the great philosopher Plato. It has no place in Bible study, and Bible readers will find this a tremendous relief once they separate Plato from the Bible and realize that man in the Bible is a mortal being in need of immortality. He doesn't have it by birth, so to speak. Immortality is something he must acquire. And that brings us then to the role of Jesus of Nazareth in human history. He came on the scene offering mankind a chance to take part in what he called the coming kingdom of God and to gain immortality in that kingdom. The word our New Testament uses frequently to describe that wonderful condition of immortality in the future is the term everlasting or eternal life. Actually, that's a slight mistranslation. More correctly, it means the life of the age to come. It's a phrase which is first found in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And there we find that God is going to grant by resurrection life in the coming age, or the life of the coming age, to the faithful of all the ages. That came into our New Testament as the life of the coming age, of the kingdom, and it was translated rather unfortunately as everlasting life or eternal life. Now let me make one thing absolutely clear here. This life in the coming age, which is the objective that Jesus offered his followers, is life forever. There's no doubt about that. It's immortality. But it's more specifically designated as life in the coming age. Now, that phrase tells you immediately that there is indeed a coming age, 
And the coming age in the New Testament is simply a synonym for the coming kingdom of God. Those are alternative ways of saying the same thing. So a Christian in the Bible, then, is aiming in a definite direction. He's hoping to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit the life of the coming age, or, otherwise put, to inherit the earth. Matthew 5.5 Now, one of the ways of becoming convinced of this very simple fact is to start using the actual language of Jesus himself. Instead of talking of going to heaven, which is a very unbiblical way of expressing our hope, let's talk, as Jesus did, of inheriting the earth, inheriting the kingdom of God, or inheriting the life of the coming age, based on the phrase in Daniel 12, verse 2. Now, sometimes when Bible teachers suggest these modifications of our language to bring them in line with the New Testament, there's a kind of hue and cry. No, people say, we prefer our own language about when I get to heaven, or so-and-so is in heaven, or I'm going to heaven. Now, it's natural that we should be attached to our own cherished ideas, the things we've perhaps said for many, many years and been taught for a long time, but it makes better sense that we should study the Scriptures to see whether we're talking the language of Jesus whom we claim to love and to follow. Our suggestion would be that we check these things carefully, as the Bereans did in Acts 17 and 11, to see whether what we're being told is true. Did Jesus, in fact, talk about going to heaven? Didn't he rather talk about inheriting the earth? Matthew 5, verse 5. Now, inheriting the earth is exactly what the Hebrew prophets, uh, those spokesmen that we find in our Old Testament, always offered as the great objective of human life. They never thought about souls going to heaven. They expected the earth to be renewed and purified, and they expected a great and wonderful era of peace and prosperity to come when the Messiah came to rule in Jerusalem. Now, that brings us back then to our central idea and the focus of these programs, namely the kingdom of God. We've been saying that from the beginning, God established the kingdom when he placed Adam and Eve on the earth as his vice-regent, as his vice-regents and representatives. They were to supervise the world for God. Now, that kingdom was seriously disrupted when the devil caused Adam and Eve to obey him rather than God, and God has been in the process then of recovering that kingdom, of restoring that kingdom. God has from the beginning seen the need to reverse the tragedy that befell our first parents. And so God is in the process of working out a great design in history, and it is, if we sum it up in one single idea, the reestablishment of the kingdom of God, the reassertion of divine sovereignty in our world. And this will mean a brand new government, a revolutionary government beginning with the return of Jesus in the future. If you take that as the central idea around which the whole of the biblical story revolves, you will find the Bible coming alive for you in a new way, in a new and exciting way. If Bible study is a, a bore for you or a drudgery, try getting hold of the kingdom idea and trace it all the way through the Bible as it unfolds in a thrilling drama. And the great tension of the drama is that that kingdom has not yet been established in our present time, we do not see the kingdom of God operating in Jerusalem with effects worldwide. No, we see rather a great measure of chaos and confusion.
But Jesus recognized that the kingdom of God was still in the future, and he therefore commanded his followers, among them ourselves, to pray, Thy kingdom come. We're pleading with God there to restore order and prosperity and peace on our very tortured earth, because God wants that kingdom of God, which once existed in paradise, to be returned to the earth. And he's chosen to do this through the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, therefore, not unnaturally, opened his ministry in Galilee by summonsing his fellow countrymen to belief in the good news about the kingdom of God. That's the Christian gospel. Jesus' gospel was an urgent call to immediate action. Now, the kingdom of God may not come in our lifetime. We don't know that for certain. But we're going to meet it sooner or later. All of us are bound to die, and all of us are destined to be resurrected to face that kingdom of God. So the present life is the time for preparation to meet that challenge successfully and to be judged worthy of entering the kingdom of God when it comes. So we find Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 that we should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the God who is inviting you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, since we've come to that very important kingdom statement in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, May I show you a way in which your marginal references in the Bible can be a marvelously illuminating key to understanding. You caught that phrase there from Paul about being worthy to attain to the kingdom of God to which you're being invited. Well, Jesus said something very similar in Luke chapter 20 and verse 35. He spoke of Christians as being those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead. Now, let's compare those two passages, one by Paul and one by Jesus, very carefully. Paul said that we're being invited into the kingdom of God, and Jesus said that we're striving to attain to that age and the resurrection of the dead. So, you see, that age, the future age, the age to come, is the age when people will be resurrected into the kingdom of God. Now, that exactly lays out for us God's plan for the Christian. This is our program. We are to be born again now by receiving the message of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And then we are to strive to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the kingdom of God to which God is inviting us. And that means then that we will attain to that coming age of the kingdom and the resurrection which will occur when Jesus comes back. That's the simple program that the New Testament lays out for us. Now, it's simple, at least in principle. I'm not saying that it isn't going to take a lot of hard work to achieve it, but the idea in itself is fairly straightforward. So would you compare in your Bible study then 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 with Luke 20 and verse 35? When you compare these two verses, you're doing, in fact, what the ancient rabbis instructed their pupils and their students to do. They were to connect passages in the Bible which were linked by a key word. In this case, the word was worthy. Jesus spoke of us being worthy to attain to that future age 
the age of the resurrection. And Paul spoke of us being worthy to attain to the kingdom of God to which we're invited. So you see, the kingdom of God belongs to the age to come, what Jesus referred to as that age or that well-known age. And that kingdom was to be entered by resurrection. So I offer you then these thoughts as a key to intelligent Bible study. Remember that the kingdom of God is the same as the age to come in your New Testament. An everlasting life or eternal life is not quite accurately translated in our modern versions. Many commentaries point out that that expression eternal life or everlasting life really means the life of the age to come. The life of the age to come and the kingdom of God in the future are exactly the same. These are two different ways of speaking about the same thing. Now we can taste something of that life in the coming age now through the Spirit. The Spirit is given to the Christian as a pledge or a down payment or as a guarantee of his future inheritance of the kingdom or the life of the age to come. We ourselves have found this to be a great key to Bible study, and we pass it on to you now. We invite you to call us or write to us. The telephone number will be given at the end of this program. We have some literature for you which will enable you to document some of these facts for yourself in your personal Bible study. Join us again as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.